Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special episode of the Help Myself Podcast. I am your host, John M. Singletary Sr. Got my junior over here. He's kicking it on this lovely Friday. Uh, just listening to some music and doing what he does, man. We just got out of school not too long ago. And uh, I just wanted to drop a quick podcast because it is Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, we celebrated mental, hair, uh, mental Health Awareness Day, Mental Health Awareness Week, Mental Health Awareness Month. And uh, we definitely need to be mindful. And so I have some thoughts on some conversations that I've had this season and on some of, uh, I'll say, some of my experiences and some of the work that I've been doing personally, not only for myself, but, you know, to get answers so that I could potentially share and be helpful for others. So we're going to get into that a little bit, tell you a quick little story. We're not going to even format this as we would a full length episode, no segments. We're just going to get right into it. So I appreciate y'all because you know, here at the Help Myself podcast, I can't help myself. I've got to inspire, I've got to encourage, I've got to empower, but I can help myself by being the absolute best version of myself. And with that in mind, let's get into it. I can't help myself. Mo's story is amazing. I've got to watch Mo grow from little Mo to Mozilla. And I've got to see John grow exponentially over the years. And getting to have both John and Mo in my circle is truly a gift from God. Listening to their stories about how I used to have red hair, I laugh so hard out here. It is great to know that our conversations have lasted this long. John, thank you for bringing this podcast to light so that we can all help ourselves. And Mo, keep it real or keep it wily. <laughs> we got to hear some feedback from our boy, Jeremy, who myself and uh, Maurice Mozilla um of the zilla lifestyle we discussed him on the podcast that dropped earlier this week um jeremy is definitely going to be one of my future guests he was giving me a hard time like how did mo get on before him but you know we do that all in love i have um I, I've, I've just been so proud and so honored by all the amazing guests we even have we have a really amazing guest that's coming on uh next week i can't wait for you to hear his story and his uh um perspective and and what he has to share he has an amazing book that i purchased and uh you know my mama know i'm grown so i i <laughs> i can cuss but the name of the book is relationship or relationship which one are you in man and it's a uh it's an incredible book a ton of vulnerability uh, that is placed in there. And uh, our guest 
that'll be premiering on next week's episode is none other than Vince Shiflet. So I'm I'm really excited about that. But uh, you know, when we were having a conversation with Mo of the Zilla lifestyle, Mo Zilla, you know, now that he's getting famous, you know, I gotta uh check myself and figure out what I'm gonna call him. <laughs> but uh man, he got to talking about when he was going through his divorce and there was so much that was uh that was in there that you know we actually lived with him and actually went through it with him and and we were talking him through there were so many things um that he didn't share which i think is um is appropriate because obviously you understand that a relationship takes two a divorce takes two uh, at the very least two, sometimes it takes more than two, but at the least two. And we understand that, uh, you know, the deterioration of that loving relationship, you know, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't an outside job. And that wasn't something that just happened because one person in the relationship, you know, there, there were things that's going on. And I'm sure if she was able to tell her story, there would be some perspective gained from that also. And so I'm proud of Mo for presenting that story, you know, his pain and everything, but to be uh, intentional about honoring um, his ex-wife, the mother of his children, because that's important. A lot of times we always want to point the finger and the blame and then act like we had nothing to do with what happened. And so his narrative, um, but there was so much more going on and uh, to know how we were in touch during that time. And then he mentioned there were times when he would be driving to work and just uh, maybe wanted to just go off the road and end it all. And that struck me in a really powerful way because, you know, I thought about this young man, you know, that we had took under our wing, that we cared about, that we love. And he was hurting so bad that he even had considerations to end his own life. And let me tell you something. A lot of times when you're going through that kind of pain, somehow you're still not able to extract yourself from your ego and who you believe yourself to be, man. And a lot of times, uh, we're suffering in silence. Uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes wrote a book uh, years ago called He Motions. And there's a story in the opening of it that every time I read it, it would just destroy me. And uh, the story is basically that there was a man that owned a, a bunch of exotic fishes. And so he had, or fish, I said fishes, <laughs> but he owned a lot of exotic fish. And so he had to get a really expensive temperature controlled um, aquarium, you know, and he paid top dollar for it. So, you know, it was timed and it kept the temperature just right for the fish. And so he went on a trip and while he was gone, there was a malfunction and the temperature in the aquarium got too hot. And it ended up killing all of the fish. And the man reflected on it. And, you know, as, as, as Bishop Jakes was writing it, he talked about it. He said, you know, it was just a slow impact that the water just slowly got hotter and hotter. 
and it became a detriment to those fish and they were in that uh temperature controlled aquarium and as they were literally dying no one could hear them screaming for their lives and the term that he went on to use was screaming in silence and he said that there are a lot of us that look okay from the outside but on the inside our emotions what we're going through and what we're barely able to handle has us like those fish we're screaming in silence and no one can hear us while we're silently dying to ourselves which will eventually cause us to literally die and to know that that was going on it just there's so many elements to mental health. Like um, one of the things that people talk about with honesty is, you know, they always say, hey, you know, be honest with me. People want to talk about brutal honesty. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. Brutal honesty is an excuse. It's a scapegoat. Honesty is honesty, but there are levels. There are dimensions to honesty. And honesty isn't simply I tell you everything that I know the way you want to receive it. A lot of times honesty is about building and creating atmospheres that make it safe for people to be honest. Because truth be told, a lot of us exist in spaces where uh, it is not safe, nor is it comfortable, nor is it conducive to us being honest. And to take that a little bit further, uh, what happens is, is a lot of times there is not an atmosphere conducive for us to talk about our true emotions, feelings, and struggles because we have to appear a certain way or we don't want to be perceived a certain way or we're just flat out afraid of what's going on and not knowing if you can trust. I remember, um, you know, one of my closest friends, my brother, you know, he was my supervisor. And one of the things that I loved about his leadership is, is that no matter how bad things got, you know, you'd say, hey, man, I messed this up or this happened. And he was always like, hey, man, just calm down. Don't worry about it. We got this. You know, like that was really his go to thing, man. And like he made you feel like you could really trust it. And that was definitely something that I wanted to co-opt into my leadership style is that ability to calm people and to build that trust that, hey, look, we're not going to get all, you know, you have been in a situation where you tell somebody something and their reaction is even worse than what you feel like the issue is because they just, like, you'd be like, oh, man, I got a scratch on the side of my mom's car. Oh, my God, you going to die. She going to kill. Oh, my God, you're never going to recover. you like, Lord, why did I tell you? I should have just went to the store and got some, you know, some paint real quick just to touch it up, you know, instead of telling you, you made it worse by your response. And I think sometimes we don't realize that sometimes people don't want to tell us things because our response is worse than the situation. But that's a whole tangent right there. But I loved his ability to be able to, um, <laughs> you know, make you feel calm and that, it was going to be okay no matter how bad it seemed. Even though I had a couple of shenanigans that I, I got into that I was like, you know what, I ain't going to even tell you about that one because I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't even want to pull you into it. It's that bad. <laughs> I'm here standing today, so it worked out. It worked out all right. But um, 
you know, I think about my career and I've said this several times, you know, that I won't have this conversation until I was completely retired from the Air Force. But I do believe that maybe I'm being selfish. Maybe I'm worried about how I might be perceived and listening to Mo tell his story. I realized that, you know, maybe if I would have talked about this and been a little more honest about it, maybe I can help somebody. Um, and and then I just want to real quickly antidote some personal work that I'm doing and some discoveries I'm making. And this isn't I made a discovery and the world is going to be shocked by it. It's just a discovery for me that I'm sure so many people that have traveled down this road and done these journeys have discovered. And it's just important to me that I share it. But um, I've actually attempted suicide several times uh, in my life. And, uh, you know, I think each situation has brought a certain serendipity with it that for some reason it didn't happen. But here's the issue with that, that there was still an internal hurt and dialogue and an intrinsic belief that would not, I want to say, free me. But that's an oversimplification because I don't want you to believe that you're just freed from that struggle of continuing to work on yourself. But I will say it the dialogue that I kept with myself kept me from being free of doing the work that I needed to do to value my life and what I bring to the table more than to where I would be so despondent that I wanted to take my own life. Um, so there's a specific one that I want to talk about that happened in 2017. And it really strikes me because it was so similar to uh, what Mo was talking about. Um, during that time, uh, LJ's mother had retired from the Air Force and they had relocated to Charleston, South Carolina. And at the time, I'm in Scott Air Force Base, Illinois, right outside of St. Louis, and so I was excited because now it was driving distance. It was still a long drive, but it was driving distance. And so my route took me, so you come out of, of the Illinois area and you go down into the southern part of Illinois and then into Kentucky, and then you go into Tennessee and it brings you right into Nashville. And then you make that, coming from where I'm coming from, you make a hard left or you head east, due east, going towards Knoxville into North Carolina. Uh, and so once you got into Knoxville, you start to get into the Rocky Mountains. And that that piece between Knoxville and Knoxville, Tennessee and Asheville, North Carolina, uh, you deep up in them Rocky Mountains. Like you up in there. You are up in there. Like that's a serious drive. Now, let me counter that by saying that there is another route that I could take to get from uh, Scott Air Force Base, Illinois to Charleston, which would have took me, so you go down into um, Nashville, and then you head to Chattanooga, and that takes you through Atlanta, and then you come from Atlanta straight on in to South Carolina, which was less, much less mountainous, and there were times when I decided to take that route when I just, uh, the weather was bad, and I didn't feel like Slalom, slalom, <laughs> you know how the skiers do slalom. Yeah, we were like slaloming through the mountains <laughs> in my truck. So anyhow, 
Um, I went through a serious bout of self-doubt, depression, a dark period uh, during the latter part of 2017. And I had LJ for the summer. And uh, when I tell you my baby was with me, he would see me in tears and he'd come up and he'd wipe my tears away. Man, he's just so amazing. So amazing. And, and that part hurt too, to know that I had this amazing kid and I still was in the depths of that. And so you get into that, um, uh, it's a it's a cycle. You feel terrible and then you beat yourself up. Like people say, you got so much to live for. And then you say, I know that. And that makes me feel even worse that it's so hard and I just can't get through it. So it, it, it becomes a cycle. It's really a difficult, difficult thing. And so it's important that we're encouraging people, that we're creating atmospheres, that we're having conversations, that we're letting people know that it's okay to talk about your hurt and your pain. And so um, I'm taking him back and I had a fully fledged plan. I knew the location and everything. And uh, my plan was, and I, and I don't want to get into specifics because I don't want the focus to be on that. But because of the route, my plan was to take my own life in that mountainous stretch between Asheville, North Carolina and Knoxville, Tennessee. And I had a fully fledged plan. So let me talk about the serendipity. Um, on the way back after I dropped LJ off and in my depressed state, damn near felt like I had said my final goodbye. And, uh, you know, emotions everywhere. But what happens is as I'm coming out of Charleston, um, the navigation that I was using, one, there was some very bad weather events going on there. So I'm like, hey, man, I guess that must mean that it is what it is. But then, you know, the traffic was backed up because there's a highway coming out of Charleston, 26. That's how you get out of Charleston going north. And, you know, sometimes it just gets down to just two lanes. And when I tell you traffic was backed up, backed up, backed up, and navigation took me on a different direction. So I took the alternate route because I thought it would get me back to 26, but it ended up taking me on the route home that goes through Atlanta. And uh, when I realized what was happening, I start feeling some kind of way, you know, like I'm like upset about this. So I'm all in my head. I'm thinking and uh, we come out of all of the rain and the weather and man, the sun is just blinding. And uh I'm I'm barreling down. You know, I got a truck at the um I had an SUV, big full-size SUV, and I'm barreling down the highway, you know, and the sun is all in my eyes, I'm all in my thoughts, and then I finally, you know, take a moment to look ahead, and the cars ahead of me were stopped or going much slower than me, and there was no way I could hit the brakes and and stop in time. I was gonna smack dead into the back of that car. Now, mind you. On the right side of the road, the police had a couple of, of fellas pulled over a traffic ticket, something like that, and they were talking to them. And then on the left side of the road, um, I was in the farthest left lane, and then there was just a, you know grass in between going um, towards Atlanta and then coming back towards Charleston. So knowing that I wouldn't have been able to stop in time, I turned the wheel hard to the right. And so the truck starts going right, 
but I was going so fast and the truck was so big that when I was trying to straighten out, it just kept going towards uh, the right side of the road where those young men and the police were. And I never forget, man, one of those dudes thought I was really about to hit him. Like I saw the fear in his face. Like I remember that vividly, but finally the tires caught and then it shot me back over into the main lane. But at this point, I don't have control of the truck. And so then it goes off into the middle, into the grassy area. Now, there was a barrier, but the part where I was at didn't have a barrier for a couple of hundred feet. Serendipity when I tell you. And so then I just go in and I'm tumbling in the grass and I come to a stop. Nobody got hit. I really don't think there was any damage to my vehicle. And I'm sitting there and I'm just kind of in shock, right? So I'm sitting there, you know, my whole life just passed in front of me. It's like, you know, it's like God telling me, oh, so you, that's what you really thought you was going to do. That's how you feel. You know, so I'm like in total, I am completely shooketh right now. <laughs> and one of the state troopers pulls up behind me a few minutes later, you know, and I'm just, oh, my heart is beating. I'm shaking. I'm trying to find my insurance and my ID and he pulls up on me. And uh, he like, man, you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to find, you know, my, my voice is all shook up. I'm trying to find it. He said, no, nah, no, nah, man, you don't, you didn't do nothing wrong. Like, so I don't know why you're trying to find all that. I just came over here to make sure you was all right. And I was like, yeah, man, it, you know, it just all happened so fast and I lost control. And he was like, yeah, man, you know, that could have went real bad the way things were set up, but it, it went perfectly. And he said, I guess it wasn't your time to go. You still got, God still got work for you to do. This man said that to me, smiled, told me to be safe and walked off. It wasn't my time. There was still work for me to do. This is the summer of 2017, August of 2017. My son's mother would pass away less than a year later in March of 2018. If I would have went through with my ill-advised plans, my child, who I love more than anything, would be an orphan, parentless. But it wasn't my time to go. And the thing about that is, is that listening to Mo tell his story made me realize that there's people that are struggling with this. And what we have to do is we have to create safe spaces where people can tell these stories. We, we, we have to check in. You know, we really do. People are finding all kinds of ways to hide and shade the pain that they're really feeling. And uh, I'm not a therapist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, any type of licensed um you know, healthcare personnel, but I have a voice, but more importantly, I have ears, a heart with empathy so that you can listen. Sometimes people just need to know that they matter, that somebody cares, uh, you know, that pain, but not only that, here was the thing I needed to talk to somebody about that. So that began my journey into getting back into therapy. I'd gone to therapy before, but I really knew that I needed to get into some therapy, which 
was clutch because, you know, after that, you know, I started talking to a therapist. Obviously, I'm not trying to lose my career at this point in time, so I didn't tell her the whole story, but we started working on some things. And then uh, I started, uh, Tika's health started deteriorating, and which happened very fast. So now we're we're in a situation where we're coming to grips with my grief and my transition, you know, as being a single father of a super exceptional family member and juggling leadership. And then um, I got selected uh, for the position I'm in now for the promotion, you know, just juggling all of this. And we got to talking and I think a couple of episodes I talked about the breakthrough you know, that I had about feeling abandoned by my father and all of this. And and I'll tell you what, um, as we've continued to do work, I've come to some other conclusions. And one of the things that I've discovered during this period of uh, heavy self-work is that there was a part of me that was attached to that narrative that I was depressed like I kind of, I kind of was attached to a perception that I was sad or that there was uh, a brokenness in me. And I'm not saying, oh, I'm I'm fully together. I got some jagged edges that I'm working on. But when I realized that I had an unnatural attachment, that like it was almost like a high to be sad or to say, you know, I'm struggling with this, this, and that. And I realized that I didn't want that. <laughs> and I hate to simplify because I, I promise you it took work to get there. But when I realized that what was happening was, is that I would use every narrative of something supposedly not going my way as a reason to tap into a built-in narrative that I'm building, that I'm depressed and good things don't happen to me. And the reality of it is, is that I've had success. I've had so much joy so much love, so many people that have done great things for me and made my life so amazing and unimaginably worth living every single inch, ounce, and piece of it that I can. But I didn't focus on that as much as I did the random disappointments that happen in life. I would allow myself to soak in those bad times and those disappointing times and i would marinate in that and then i would i would give the heisman you know i would just stiff arm all of the amazing things that happened that i needed to celebrate so much to the point you know wouldn't celebrate birthdays you know because i was building this narrative and to discover that like whoo i've got so much to be thankful for i've got so much to live for so much to celebrate so many amazing, beautiful people in my life and they come and they go and um, a real decision, you know, you make a real decision. I am going to live in love. I think I'm going to talk about this in the future because I'm getting away from my point. But I've noticed, man, that I stopped being afraid to to love like this love that's inside of me. Like I was telling a friend of mine, man, I said, we as men, you know, a lot of times we get uncomfortable saying it but you know i just said hey man i love you and we both laughed about it but we engaged you know <laughs> my sister that was on last season jessica joy you know i was amazed at, at, at i got to give props to the ladies y'all are so much better at it like 
we had lunch, man, and we were just having a good time, man. And then, you know, when we uh, were leaving, I was like, man, I appreciate this. I love you. And she was like, I love you too. And it, it wasn't even a thought, like, but for me and my male friends, oh, man, you know, we're like, ah, oh, yeah, you won. Yeah, I love you. <laughs> and, you know, you, God has placed people in my life. And I know I don't need more time to realize that I genuinely love these people, but yet there's this part of you that wants to hold back living in that love. But I'm, I'm talking about mental health awareness and, um, you know, there's so many pieces to that. There's no, you know, there's not the, hey, the magic key is that you go to therapy. That's a part of it. Oh, the magic key is that you do self-work and meditation. That's a part of it. Oh, the magic key is you say these mantras and you affirmations. That's a part of it, but it's work. And let me tell you what really got me on this journey. And uh, wow, this podcast has got much longer than I expected, but hey, let's rock with it. Um, So many things got me on the journey. I, that's not the right term. Here's the term I want to use. I will tell you what was definitely a moment. Uh, my boss man, he's awesome and a great leader in my opinion. And one of the things that I really value, very emotionally intelligent and very even about it, everything, like he, he doesn't get too far to the left, too far to the right, just stays pretty smooth and pleasant about everything, you know? And uh, he genuinely loves his life excited about his family, his wife, excited about his job, his co-workers. Like he genuinely, there's an exuberance and a joy about everything. And he approaches everything with a solution focused mindset. And, you know, I was sitting in his office and I was telling him all these things that I had noticed and that I really admired. And this man looked me dead in my eye. He thanked me and he looked me in my eye and he said, I had to work really hard to get here. And that resonated with me. And in that moment, I knew that I had hard work ahead of me, but I wanted that work because I want that peace. I want that joy. I want to live in my passions. And man, I'm dedicated to this work. I'm loving doing this work because <laughs> my co-pilot is worth it. Um, you know, the woman that I'm going to spend my life with is worth it. My family, the worth it. All the people that rock with me, that celebrate me, that lift me up, man. I got a circle of folks that, man, we so tight. I just got extended family everywhere I go, man. And all of them are worth it. All of you that are listening to me right now, that if I'm saying something that resonates with you, you are worth it. And so I'm going to do the work. I'm going to share the progress, any tips. But I want you to know that until you love you on the inside, that heart work, everything else is colored by that. But you've got to love you on the inside and do that work. 
That's right, buddy. And then everything else will come, come together. But love you. Do that work on you. Go on the inside and change your perception. There's nothing on the outside that's going to magically fix you. That's an inside job. And when you're willing to do the work, man, the peace, man, I want to really just kick it back, man. If you go listen to the episode that I did with Yancey and uh, her closing comments, man, that's it right there. But you've got to go on the inside and really do that work. And, man, I'm here with you. We're going to do this work together. Hey, you know what? I'm going to close it out. But we'll be back to talk some more, man. I appreciate all of you so much.